Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk, and joining me as ever, he's the top man, he's the legend himself, and the statesman to my kingsman. It's John Burke from Burke Reviews. What's up, Matt? Not too bad, thank you. Uh, getting over a, a phantom illness, which seems to have come and gone, but touch wood by the end of this, I'm still going. But that aside... um. Yeah, we're basking in unseasonable weather over here. I've got a cup of tea by my side, and uh, do you know what? I can't wait to get into this cracking month that's just been, but <laughs> how about yourself? Um, Pretty good. It's a hot day, as always, in Florida. Um, There was, uh, you know, I, I've heard that you guys are having, like, a record heat wave or something over there. But... I guess in, in America, in Fahrenheit, yeah, I think last week it topped just about 100 degrees Fahrenheit, so which for us... We, you know, the, the island of England started to melt away, so um, we kind of had a bit of Floridian weather. Yeah, I, I jinxed you because like the week before, I think I was telling you it was like 114 heat index. Oh, I couldn't here. believe it. Um, yeah, and then it's like, oh well, here you go, have some of that. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah, my bad. Um, so we're we're the officially the second month through of the summer of 2019. Yes. Uh, and so far, um. This summer has been kind of disappointing overall. I would say. What do you think? Yeah, um, there have been some. There's been. There's been what? Obviously, the major film was Endgame, which even then, just sort of is. It has kind of been tacked on to the summer releases. They're yep. extending the summer. But I mean, some of the films, certainly from last month, we thought were going to be big hitters, especially like Godzilla. But you know, maybe even Detective Pikachu. Oh, they bombed, and not—I don't mean necessarily the quality of the films, maybe in Godzilla's case—but they haven't made money. Aladdin has been a surprise money maker, but even looking forward, it's not much to cling on to in the summer. So, uh, I mean, next month has got a couple of, or this month for what we're in now, July. But in terms of the show, next month we've got some big hitters. This yeah. month, however, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the summer isn't what it used to be. I think we can agree to that. It's a lot. But I mean, 10, 20 years ago. We'd, we were hit with these big, I guess you could say, big, dumb, brash blockbuster movies um, about the world ending with Armageddon or Deep Impact or all these kind of films. But now, again, everything seems to revolve outside of the summer now. So the end of the year, you get the Oscar push, which has always been the case. But we're getting bigger films coming out at the end, of the end of the year now as well. The beginning of the year, that's starting to see more and more films take a chance and try and uh, swallow up some of the money there. And the summer seems to be getting left behind, or is is it just me, or my kind of is it? I don't look forward to the summer quite as much now in terms of film releases. For the most part, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's the the few franchises that are still like producing quality that are coming out in the summer, but there's a lot of like either remakes or sequels that are just being kind of shoved into the summer, mm-hmm. um, and those seem to be uh, losing the artistry and i think that's one of the big flaws of the summer movie is if you go back even 10 years the summer was still full of like original concepts um i mean let's like iron man at the time was like granted it's built off a property but it was a new franchise it was a new entry point and like i think marvel's still producing but there's a lot of other companies that are are just not um i mean look the, our big four movies, only one of them is an original 
property yeah. Yeah, for true. this month. And then if you look at the ones that we saw over on the side, several of them are either remakes, uh, odd continuations, or forced franchises. Um, and those are smaller releases, you know? Like, for the most part. I mean, there's a few other bigger movies on there, but uh, I, I feel like Hollywood needs to... to allow for a little bit more creativity and um yeah that will maybe open up some options for uh one filmmakers and and content of the films um you know because we're, we're in this big boom of television you know um one thing that we won't talk about but uh and technically it's a july release anyways but my my wife and i and my daughter on fourth of july we binge watched season uh three of stranger things um nice. and you know, I'm not. I don't do a lot of TV anymore because I, I spend most of my time either watching new movies or trying to catch up on older films so that I can talk more about the new films and how they are mm-hmm. either, you know, borrowing ideas or uh, being inspired by or paying homage to. Um, but Stranger Things is one show that like I like the nostalgia. I also I love finding all the references because there are so many movie references and because my film viewing has expanded, uh, my ability to catch those references is greatly expanded as well and so I, I really enjoyed season three quite a bit um but you know that was eight hours that i dedicated to that and people are willing to do that but are clearly not going to see these you know movies in the theater like they used to and yeah um you know i i, I hate that because i love going to the theater so I'd, I'd love to see people you know going um i even when i was hearing um that some people were boycotting uh, one of the franchises that were coming out because they they were like oh I'm so tired of these sequels and it's like but but this one's actually good go please go watch <laughs> this one go see it I I hear that I guess this I mean we're gonna sound like we're banging the drum that everybody else bangs but there's certain films in this list or some we're actually gonna speak about next month as well which are original yet either they weren't marketed particularly well or much at all because of budgetary constraints or or people just aren't hearing enough about them, word of mouth. But there's a couple of original films on the kind of best of the rest list, which, by the sounds of it, could or should be doing better. But um, they kind of get swallowed up by these sort of monster, figuratively and literally as well, monster blockbuster movies. But I mean, even like <laughs> you mentioned about the artistry and about, I think there's just a lack of trust as well. And yeah. I mean, this year hasn't really helped me either because I was going to bet my house that Godzilla King and the Monsters was going to blow me away. Everything about that, um, again, last month's episode, we go full on into this, but everything about the marketing, the trailers, looked like this was ready to be a film that's going to blow the roof off of this franchise. And look what we got, man. And there's just seems for things mm-hmm. like um, Pikachu, The Hustle from last month. Um, before that, The Curse of La Llorona, these horror films that are coming out which just woefully inept. Hellboy, oh, Pet man. Cemetery. I didn't mind it. I know you weren't a fan of it. And I guess Shazam's come out. That was a lot of fun, but it's not making. It didn't make huge amounts of money. No, but so, people don't I, trust the DC universe much. That's it. I think well, they certainly don't trust the DC. But I just think there's a lack of faith in the summer films coming out now. Uh, a bit of apathy towards them because some of these films should have done better than they did, and others look like they've been plonked there for good reason as well. But um, I've got on another note. Stranger Things was released in 2016, three years ago. I finally sat down to watch the first two episodes of season one oh. last night. I've broken my Stranger Things duck. I had my hand arm twisted, and I finally sat down to watch the first two episodes, and I and I thought they were excellent. So I can't oh, wait to binge the rest of season one. 
Um, and I, I, I've heard that season two is not quite as strong, but no. hell, I'm going, I'm going all in. So I can, then I could be in season three. So um, I, I, I love the idea of TV, but I never sit down and watch it. But, yeah, yeah. Um, really enjoyed those first two, man. I think part of the reason why they click so much for me, I, I, I know it's a nostalgia grab, but sometimes I like to see like other people who love the same stuff that I love, you know, working within that medium. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I, I enjoy all three seasons. Two is definitely the I would say the weakest of the three, um, but I'm real happy with season three. I think they do some really fun stuff. Season two, uh, I think, suffers from like wanting to give more and not knowing how to do that. And so like right. there's a lot of like superfluous content and it could have been trimmed down to probably I think eight episodes seems to be the right number. Um, I think it's 11 or 12 episodes like in season two. Uh, season three, eight episodes, swift and to the point. Um, barely gives you a second to breathe in season three, but uh, yeah, it's it's fun because I was kind of concerned that you you just started because uh, Big Tuna is not a fan of the franchise. He tried, I think, three episodes and he quit and it was just done. The um, contrarian himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, I've heard people people have put some good criticism out there. And of course, if you are not a fan of nostalgia grabs and you're not going to like it because it is a a lot of the movie is referencing you know there's a lot of spielberg and in season one you know you'll see a lot of those 80s amblin films um Mm -hmm. embedded in the the story structure the characters and if you if you just find that like i'd rather watch the original well then okay then you're not going to like stranger things much because it is definitely paying homage to that that era but um yeah, but and even in two, there is some good stuff in two. Like it's it's got okay. flaws, but there's it still has some really strong moments. And um, I, I I look forward to hearing your overall thoughts. Well, I'm gonna binge watch seasons one and two over the next few days, uh, a week or so, and then once I'm done, the first person to hear will be John Book, and then the rest of the world. But um, on this podcast, a bloody awesome movie podcast, John and myself, we as as we mentioned, we look back at what we deem to be the top four releases from the past month, which in this case is June of 2019, uh, as well as anything else we caught that uh, was also released in June. And we give our thoughts and opinions on them in full non-spoiler mode, so nothing to worry about. We might we might mention the synopsis, but we won't mention vital plot points, so don't worry about that. So without any further, John, what is first in our rundown of June? Well, Matt, it was crazy when I was looking at what we were going to do this month because I almost forgot I saw this movie. Mm. Um and I'm not upset about that. Uh, Dark Phoenix is our first film of the month, um, directed by Simon Kinberg. Stars a lot of people, to be real, but uh, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt, Sophie Turner, Ty Sheridan, um, Alexandra Ship, Evan Peters, kind of, Cody Schmidt-McPhee, Jessica Chastain, horribly, Scott Shepard, mm-hmm. um, a few other people. But let's be real, uh, most of the actors in this movie do not want to be there. Um, which is, I think, noted by most critics as this film has a 23 at Rotten Tomatoes and a 43 on Metacritic. Um, so generally not a, a loved movie. And I want to give a little background. Um, I still love the first two X-Men movies. You know, X-Men yes. and then X2. Uh, is it just X2? I don't even remember the name. Just X2, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, and then I, I don't hate The Last Stand as much as many. I don't love it. I think there's a lot of flaws, but there's still some interesting stuff and there's a couple of cool sequences in in the last stand um first class i like but I, i've never been inclined to rewatch. i do feel like it drags a little bit here and there um i love day of future days of future past yeah not a fan 
of uh, Apocalypse. I barely remember Apocalypse. Um, in fact, when I saw some clips from it, I'm like, oh yeah, that happened in that. I've completely blanked on it. Um, and then even the spinoffs. Uh, if you count Deadpool, I like both Deadpool movies a whole lot. Um, the three uh, Wolverine standalone films, Origins is horrible. I liked the Wolverine until the third act, and I think it falls apart. And then I love Logan. So overall, pretty big fan of this franchise, despite its many speed bumps, you know? I, I've stayed with it. Um, from the moment they announced Dark Phoenix, I was not excited. I was very concerned that they were trying this Phoenix story again, because Last Stand did it, and yeah. Last Stand did it not so well. Uh, this one does it worse somehow. Um, and I think, I, I have to say, I don't want to insult a, a you know, a young, talented actress, I suppose, but Sophie Turner is lifeless in this film in a way that seems impossible. Uh, I, I can't wrap my head around how boring a mutant-based superhero film could be. Um, it, it shouldn't be possible when you give this level of, of actors, uh, this level of special effects, this level of, of comic bookness, that it could be boring. Um, the fight sequences are are so choppy, and the ed like in the editing, it's just it's not it's not enjoyable in any way. Uh, right now, I think this is my least favorite film of the year. I was I somehow managed to to wipe it from my mind until now, having to talk about it again, um, and I am getting slightly upset even remembering having to sit through this. I I was physically moving around during this film because I wanted it to end. Um, like I kept shifting in my seat at the theater. I leaned forward at one point, um, with like my head down, looking at the, the Coca-Cola soaked floor, <laughs> uh, pondering my existence as to why on earth this movie <laughs> happened. Um, and I, I just, it's, there's so many things that just feel wrong about it. Um, even there are like some little choices that annoyed me too. Like with Jennifer Lawrence as Raven slash Mystique. She's blue when she's in the costume, but then when she's not in the costume, she's just Jennifer Lawrence, and it's like, wait, why? Well, you know, like... Well, well uh, outside of the films, we know why. Yeah, well, yes, exactly, but it's like, within the film, it's like, this makes no sense. And then, you know, everybody, everybody seems so disinterested, with the exception, I feel like McAvoy really tried to commit to the character, and that's, I think, maybe his M.O., that he's he takes his role seriously, regardless mm -hmm. of the quality. Um and but everyone around him just seems like they want this to be done. Like they're they maybe they know this is gonna be the last one in this iteration. Um, like there is the epitome of horrible though is got to be Jessica Chastain in this movie. I, I don't know <laughs> if it's her fault or if it's the direction or like even the little things because they make her almost albino in this movie. Yep, and she's not the character she's based on in the comic books is a green alien and a guy. So the, <laughs> the, the look of her is a weird aesthetic choice that has no bearing on the comic book whatsoever. Um, she, I, the only thing I could think of is making her change her red hair. So she doesn't look like Sophie Turner, you know, so that there's not like any confusion yeah. for the audience. But I don't, I don't think that was necessary and it made her look really weird. And then she's playing this like super stoic, non-emotive character. And it's just, man real bad like i've had i've generally liked chestnane and have have backed her up i've had a few friends who have like argued how bad she is and i'm like no i don't think she's that bad this movie makes it hard for me to ever argue in her favor again 
um, because it's so bad. It's such a bad performance. And again, it may not be her. It may be the script. It may be the direction. It could be a combination of all three. But I, I am so glad uh, I will not add this movie to my movie collection, despite being a completionist. And I, I own all of the other ones. But I don't want this one. Um, so it will not be added unless someone gives it to me. So that's my, my take on Dark Phoenix. Uh, I don't know how you felt about it, sir. But I, I did not enjoy this movie. <laughs> I, my face is on fire. I can just feel the burn coming through the speakers. <laughs> you really weren't a fan of this. No. Uh, well, it's interesting. That, well, interesting. Simon Kingberg, Kinberg wrote The Last Stand. Yeah. So he wrote that film. This is his debut. So he just thought, I'm just going to direct the film. Or a larger version of the film, which I wrote yeah, 13 years ago, which, whatever. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on this one, John. It's a, it's an absolute steaming mess it's just of poor story, dialogue, uh, action. I didn't particularly much like the action. The, one of the scenes towards the end, it you know had its moments, but still. Um, and the acting was horrendous as well. I really thought that. And do you know what? The, the film starts with a car crash. Do you know what they say about starting <laughs> me to go on? <laughs> but... Um, so yeah, structurally and narratively, it's all over the place. I think Kinberg tries to create something, you know, challenging and with some depth to it, but it is soulless. It's it's just a hollow, hollow end to this franchise, which I agree it's had its downs. But some, but those first two X Men movies were exceptionally good. I really did like them. I didn't mind First Class. I thought it was pretty good. Days of Future Past, I thought was excellent. Um, and even things like Last Stand, whilst I wasn't a fan of it, at least that had. You know, at least it had a cohesive, he could hear a kind of story to it. Yeah. This, with her X-23 or whatever it was, um, this didn't. I mean, the first half an hour was fine. I didn't mind the first kind of 20 to 30 minutes of it. But after that, it got really disjointed. Mm -hmm. The action scenes didn't hold any weight. Like I mentioned, one of the main moments in the film is in the trailer, which made me almost not want to go and see it. Because like, well, I know what happens to one of the characters now. It's something which has been spoken about, you know, a lot before the film was released. But... It turned, and they got out of the dialogue as well. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence says, I've been thinking of moving on. And you know damn well that probably wasn't even a script. He's just finally saying yeah. it. I've been thinking. And Ty Sheridan is such a wimp oh. as Cyclops. He fronts up to Fazbender's Magneto. Well, I think I think Fazbender came out with some kind of dignity. He's an actor of which I've been really mm. disappointed in in recent years. But I thought his Magneto was fine again. But um, went up against it. This Cyclops kid just says, I will freaking kill you. I thought... Oh, and no, I'd like John. I, I wish for that Coca-Cola floor to swallow me up, and for me to never have to <laughs> see it again. Sophie Turner, I've mentioned in my review, her act accent was awful. It's because, I know we get. I've mentioned before about English actors doing American voices and vice versa, but Sophie Turner is so English that it she sounds like a, a very English person putting on a very American accent, which to me just it put took me out of the film. And her her acting was cardboard. Yeah, McAvoy was fine, um, but actually no, Hans Zimmer's score was good. I liked that. I am going to say that. But other than that, Dark Phoenix, or when they tried to call it Dark Phoenix, but when the test screenings were so bad, they had to then call it X-Men Dark Phoenix to try and get some people in. It's a massively, massively disappointing end to, as me and John have said, what has been at times a pretty damn good franchise. So if the X-Men are, go are going into the MCU, then this will be the this is the last you know, iteration of this. So let's see what Marvel can, or uh, Disney slash Marvel will or won't do with the characters, but it's going to be better than this. Cause this, this was a film which people would, uh, it seemed nobody had any hope for, for about the last year. 
Nobody was looking forward to this. It was mired in production issues. So whilst it's not surprising that it ended up being an absolute toilet blocker, it's still disappointing. <laughs> um, you know, a couple of things too, and this this is beyond this movie, but um, I am all for like feminism and you know women getting their equal spot in Hollywood and you know minorities getting more representation in Hollywood. I'm all for that. Yeah, what, yeah. I'm, what I'm tired of is movies shoehorning that into the story as though that makes it a feminist statement. Like, mm-hmm. there's a part where she's like, why is it the X-Men and not the X-Women? And yeah. it's just like, Kinberg, dude, seriously, is that your thought of, like, this makes it a feminist treaty now because she made a comment? And there was, I can't even remember, there was a movie either last month or this month where they had a similar, like, oh, it's it Men in Black Endgame. does game. Oh, Endgame did it as well for me, where yeah. they had the the, the, uh, the openly gay characters who who the directors, you know, you know, bravely took it upon themselves to do, to play. Yeah. And they're in it for like five seconds. Cramming. It was marketed as this massive diversity challenge. And I thought, well, how about next time, put them front and centre. Yeah, yeah, make them relevant, make them have weight, make them do something. Yeah. Um, or like, is again, they say that, and it like it has no bearing on the film. It's just, it's Jennifer Lawrence again it almost seems like that same thing you said before that it's actually jennifer lawrence's thoughts and she's just feeding like the like i just want to get off of this so fast please let me out and that's the the movie sidelines some of their bigger stars and some of the better characters and and probably because contract disputes or they didn't want to do the movie they just you know did their obligatory like i'll be in the movie for this long and i'm out um i'm here for the catering yeah it's it's such a it's such a trashy horribly made comic book movie um like uh it's it's so disappointing because it, it has it shouldn't be that bad like i can understand it yeah. not being great but it, it should at least be a dumb blockbuster that is enjoyable and it's not even that it can't even produce yeah, nothing stopping that. it from being decent at least yeah there, there's and again you have a massively incredible cast um in this movie and it's just it's not there and again i'm not i i don't think I don't think Sophie Turner is that great of an actress. I didn't think it when I was watching Game of Thrones, and now that I've seen her in two X-Men movies, I'm not convinced that she's got what it takes, especially to carry a movie. Um, and, yeah, but I think that's all we need to say about Dark Phoenix, unless you got anything else to add, because, ugh. Um, no, not about the film, because it's leaving a bad taste in my mouth. As for Sophie Turner, I'd like to see her do some supporting roles in films that aren't about superheroes or fantasy like Amelia Clark kind of did when she did that rom-com, which wasn't that good a few years ago. It wasn't that bad. Um, but at least she did something slightly different than, you know, sci-fi fantasy kind of film. So, and then she well, did see Terminator Genesis. Well, oh, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, and let's not talk about that either. But um, I'd like to see Sophie Turner spread her wings because I, I'm, I'm on with you. I'm not entirely sure of her, you know, range, but we'll see. But, I mean, talking about films with a stellar cast and, you know, could have could be a potential big hitter this summer. Could have been. Men in Black International, directed by F. Gary Gray and starring Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, Kumail Nanjiani, uh, Rebecca, F. Tom- Rebecca Ferguson, sorry, Rafe Spall, Emma Thompson and Liam Neeson. Now, we mentioned Dark Phoenix had 23 RT and 43 Met score. Hear this. Men in Black trumps it 22% Rotten Tomatoes and 38 from the Meta score. Um, another film that was utterly mired in issues production-wise. Uh, Gaff Gary Gray, he wanted to do one story. They got uh, Walter Parks on board, who uh, wrote the original Men in Black films. He wanted to do something else. The studio wanted to do what Parks wanted to do. Gray wanted to leave the 
um, production, but eventually finished it. We had um, the stories about Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth bringing on script doctors to basically write their lines for them because the, whoever was writing it originally did such a bad job. But um, that wasn't all of it. So about the film, international. Uh, it's just international just because. And I'm not sure why it worked <laughs> quite well in the first few films. But And what made those Men in Black films so accessible was the likeable leads, the jokes, the situations that the guys got themselves in. The aliens looked fun. They looked cool. But that's all been removed here, I think, in this mess, which manages to waste Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, Liam Neeson, Rebecca Ferguson, Dame Emma Thompson. And, well, I didn't particularly... I wasn't huge on Men in Black 2 or 3, especially 3. But, oh. you know, at least they felt... They felt like part of a connected franchise. Mm. This just this, this, this feels like any old buddy cop film with Men in Black slapped on it. Chris, Chris Hemsworth should have been like a really good fit for this series. But I think the film and the script lets him down badly. Mm-hmm. As does, and he gets a Thor gag as well, which is which is you know, unforgivably bad to do that. Tessa Thompson again, she tries her hardest, but she, she can't do anything with, with this. Um, the narrative is messy. Again, as per Dark Phoenix, it's flawed. Um, the visual effects aren't brilliant. Do you know what? It just feels rushed and it feels a bit half-assed. Mm. It feels like the production issues for me uh, shone through too much and Sony could have had a real decent attempt at launching their franchise, whereas uh, Fox could have finished their X-Men franchise on a high. Sony could have um, shot this one in the stratosphere you know, with Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson as your leads. Come on. But it's just, again, to me, it was hollow. It was soulless. There's a twist in the film that if you don't see coming in the first few seconds uh, of those characters and those events being on screen, then you'll want to check yourself. Rafe's fan <laughs> is just... Oh, and he was so good in a ritual a few years back as well. But for me, Men in Black, is not. this isn't like the Men in Black of old, which are fun adventure romps with the charisma of Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones and little things like sugar in water, those little moments. This is just... Oh, a horror, uh, it's just uninteresting this film wasn't I, I was really again I wasn't disappointed because I didn't really have any hopes for this film but it's another film as well where they kind of mention wh- wh- why is it called Men in Black and yeah. they, they have a joke about that when it's oh, okay, and, okay and it's in the trailer uh, yeah. too Hemsworth says um, w- correction women in black and Males makes this stupid joke like good one in the trailer, I don't think that that part of it's in the actual movie, but no, it's not, and I'm all for diversity. I've mentioned it on yeah. this podcast and other ones I do. All I, I would love nothing more than for people to stop crying and whining that people who want white men get jobs, but you know, don't go the other side then and and kind of wink at the camera whilst doing it. So yeah, Men in Black International for me was a big old disappointment, but one I wasn't again like Dark Phoenix, not one I was particularly surprised at. Look, so I, I have been a Tessa Thompson fan going back, I think, to Creed was where I first remember encountering her. Um, Pretty much, yeah. That's where she got a bit big breakthrough, I think. Yeah, and then I, I went back and watched Selma, but that was, uh, I don't remember how big of a role she actually, she's not a big role in that. But, um, you know, I've seen, sorry to bother you, uh, I got to see Little Woods at um, Tribeca, not this year, but the year before, which is uh, her and uh, Lily James, and yeah. she's so good in that movie. Um, I think she's underplayed in Creed 2, and I don't like what they did with her in Creed 2. I feel like they put her in like kind of a backseat role where she felt like a co-lead in the first film. Um, Annihilation, she's fantastic in. And then, uh, you know, here she is, and I'm excited. Um, I loved her as Valkyrie, too, in uh, in Ragnarok, and the small part she gets in um, Endgame. But, um, 
you know, I went into this film very hopeful that this was going to, they were going to crush it. She's going to crush it. And while I think she's likable, and I, I think Hemsworth, whose character isn't really supposed to be likable, um, but not in the same way that, like, Tommy Lee Jones' character is, like, a rough and old, yeah, you know, veteran cool. cop, this is just, like, he's kind of just, like, a, a jerk who, um, they kind of play him like Zach Morris, you know, like, where he's, yeah, yeah. he's the pretty boy, and that's the only reason why people, why he's still successful, despite being a screw-up in every regard. He's a, he's a bumbling idiot, basically, yeah. who gets by on charisma. Yeah, which is Zach Morris, yeah. right? Like, that's, I don't know exactly. how... Say by the bell big over there? I'm not really sure. No, no, it was massive over here. Don't okay. Worry. Yeah. Um, that, I'm, I'm talking about the character, by the way, not Chris Hemsworth, who I'm sure is a lovely man. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I love Hemsworth in so much. And he's proven now multiple times that he, when given good material, he is very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tessa has proven that she's just a chameleon. She can do whatever is thrown at her, and you will just be blown away by her talent. Um, and I am a big, big Chameleon and Johnny fan. Like, I, I've. Yeah. Listen to his podcast. I love The Big Sick. That was one of my favorite films from that year. Um, I love Silicon Valley, his HBO TV series, uh, where I think he often gets to steal the show when he's not the lead. Um, he's kind of become a co-lead, but he wasn't initially the lead. And he's the reason I watched uh, as much of The X-Files as I did, because he he's a big X-Files fan and had um, a podcast called The X-File Files, where he went episode by episode. Um, and so I wanted to listen to that podcast, so I started watching X-Files. So... That's an interesting way to get into the franchise. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of those three. The three main leads in this film, and this film did not work for me at all. Um, I was so frustrated, and I love the first film. Like, Men in Black still, I think, is one of my favorite sci-fi comedies. Um, I don't want to say it's not in my top 50 movies, but it's still, like, a film that I, if it's on, I can sit and watch and I enjoy thoroughly. I don't love to – I do I actually like three a little more, but I'm a big Josh Berlin fan. So, you know, Josh <laughs> Berlin playing Tommy Lee Jones is kind yeah, of awesome. Kate, isn't it? Yeah. Um, young Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, but it. I still don't love three nearly as much as the first one. But um, this movie, it's it's just a mess. And like you said, the quote-unquote twist, I think, does more to hinder the film because they think they're being smart and they're like, Oh, wait till you see this coming. It's like, no dude, everybody saw this coming. You should have just played it immediately. Like we knew it. Yeah. Like there would have been, you could have done so much more with the story if you weren't trying to cover up the obvious twist that you've, you've built in. Um, it's so many things that are just awful. And they even, they seem to break some of their own rules within the, like the men in black mythos. Um, like when they're riding around on the motorcycle in the middle of like the this massively you know populated place yeah yeah so overpopulated there's no way you're going to be able to like neuralize everybody accurately you know what i mean like it's it's you're breaking the mythos and that's troubling um yeah yeah i like how they did tessa's character like the initial premise of like her not being neuralized as a kid and then going through everything I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. It's a it's a different take. It's not just a rehash of the original how Jay was selected. Um, but it kind of becomes that, and then uh, she forces her way in. And, and again, it seems like kind of powerful, but then it's it's she's relegated like and sent to the European office for no real reason. Like, there is a reason, but again, because they're trying to hide the twist, um, they don't really give us the reason. And then it just plays out so haphazardly. Um, it's, it's so bad. And I got to say, Rebecca Ferguson, I thought underused cause she's not in the movie very much, but when she first came on, I thought it was Bryce Dallas Howard because of her hair <laughs> in that scene. And I'm like, 
I'm like, is that Bryce Dallas Howard in this? And then I was like, oh no, it's Rebecca Ferguson. But yeah, weird, weird use of her. Um, I actually thought Rafe Spall was okay. He was, I mean, he was really like chewing the scenery when he was on screen, but yeah. he, uh, his character made sense because he was kind of the he was the ac slater to zach morris if you want to make that yeah. I, I did not Going come in with the save by the bell <laughs> this is just happening you are going deep with um, the by the bay references man and i guess camille becomes screech right like that's the whole <laughs> i was trying i was gonna work out to get screeching <laughs> yeah um you know because he's kind of there he's a little little obnoxious has an obsession with tessa thompson um you know it all works uh liam neeson would then be mr belding and here you go, folks. This is why this movie's awful. It, it, it's pulling from it's Saved like by the Bell. The yeah. um, not, and again, grew up loving that show, but let's be real. I don't know how it holds up today. Uh, it, it did not hold up in this movie. It was such a disappointment. Um, not, I actually, I did enjoy it more than Dark Phoenix, uh, but I still, like, I found it to be so bland and dull and lifeless, like you said, and... Uh, it sucks because I really thought this could be great. I was so hopeful, um, especially because we've seen Hemsworth and Tessa work together on on as Valkyrie and Thor in both Ragnarok and a little bit in Endgame, and they have such great chemistry that for that to not work here is really disappointing. Yeah, I agree. Just for let me just say, Lisa Turtle, Stacy Carosi, uh. Tori Scott, that's my Save by the Bell references for this show. So I've got three characters in there Maybe. for no reason, unlike John's, which were wo- uh, masterfully <laughs> woven in. Yeah, <laughs> I think the problem with this film is similar to Dark Phoenix that everything that went on behind the scenes to kind of posturing and grandstanding has ultimately affected the film. So whether that's Gary uh, F. Gary Gray's fault or uh, Walter F. Park's fault for producing and writing it, I don't know. Or if it's just, or if it's overall. The studio's fault. I think whatever whatever happened behind the scenes has completely derailed the film, and it's a real shame because again, I think they could have done something with this franchise, and I'm I don't know what the chances of them getting a sequel to this are. But based on the box office alone, I can't imagine they're going to be uh, queuing up to make another one of these. But uh, I it's another one of those films where I think it would have been easier to actually make this film quite good. I think, yeah. I think it's harder to make this a bad film. And it, it's got, what, $110 million budget, $220 million worldwide. So, it's, I mean, it's struggling to have break even. Yeah. We're not it's, even saying, like, a great film. Like, just make just it... Just a D, same as Dark Phoenix. It's just a film where you can come out and think, actually, you know, that that was okay. More than the best film I'm going to see this year, but it, I haven't come out with, like, a... You know, I don't come out feeling dirty, haven't watched it. But, yeah, those these first two films have been... I can't remember... A, a worse one too in the year on a bit we've been doing this show yeah uh it, it's it's especially i mean it's not even just our opinions like the collective critical community are down on both of these movies so hard i mean neither of them broke 25 percent on rt you don't see it that low very often especially not for big blockbuster level productions these aren't like indie films that just didn't work these are like the studio films. backed big budget some are blockbusters and neither are liked. And I mean, I've heard some people like I, one of a, a student of mine who I, I think has generally really good taste in movies. She loved men in black uh, international. Um, and it, it was something about the way Thompson's character is that clicked for her. And so if it inspires, like if, if 
seeing again a female character kind of take the reins and be this action hero makes it work okay at least he did something well you know um yeah if you like these films and we've we are the champions of subjectivity where we would never dismiss your opinion yeah. or think you are wrong for liking these films and we we will sit here and say that it would seem that the vast majority of professionals or people within the industry like john and myself um we we didn't like this film and it seemed like most people didn't but if you did then this is just that that's what the film's for doesn't yeah. mean you're wrong doesn't mean we're right it's that's the beauty of film so yeah rock on if you do like it what i do encourage though is if you did like this if that figure out what made you connect to it and then seek out other films that have similar things that you connected with that are going to probably blow your mind at how great they are versus this movie. And that's yeah. not a criticism to you. I think, again, the more movies you watch, the better you'll be able to to see how the same ideas have been expressed in better ways. And um, and then understand why we're disappointed. It's not because we're like smug, over-the-top critics. It's because we see the potential here and can't understand how they floundered it so much. Like, it was right there to be so even if they had just gone formulaic, this movie should have been at least entertaining. And to me, the epitome, and I, I said this in my review of this movie being boring, is the nightclub sequence. Because I've never seen a nightclub sequence in a film look so dull. Like, the people <laughs> yeah, yeah. dancing look bored. The club itself is bored. And it's an alien nightclub. And it's boring. Like, it's it's so mundane and just, like, it's, uh, what's the word I want? Um... Where Soul it's, destroying. Yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> um, sterile. Sterile is the word I want. Yes, it, yeah, it yeah. feels so pristine and clean. It's like this isn't a club, especially not an alien nightclub. This this feels <laughs> awful. And um, that scene to me was just like this is the epitome of what this movie's doing. It, it's not even able to make a nightclub dance sequence feel fun. I I can't think of another movie that fails that horribly with something so should be inherently simple, right? Like it should have a lot of energy and passion. The music's humming. People are dancing. Bodies are grinding. Sweat is dripping. Drinks are being knocked back. You should be able to smell the sweat and the booze and the, and the smoke from the smoke machines. But yeah, you can't, this this isn't a club that me or John would frequent. We're not going there together. So you failed on that one, Gary Gray. Yep. It's a shame, man. It's just, it's such a missed opportunity for a very, at least enjoyable blockbuster um, that it, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. But on the bright side, Matt, this next movie did not break my heart, uh, at least not <laughs> in the same way. Um, Toy Story 4, the fourth iteration of what we thought was a trilogy. Uh, we thought it ended with Toy Story 3, but no, no. A few years, what is it, nine years later? Uh, yes. Toy Story 4 is announced. The trailers make me nervous. They're introducing a fictional uh, toy called Sporky. Nope, Forky. Forky. But he's made of a spork, so who knows the name. But, um, you know, the trailers made me very concerned that this was going to be a nonsense cash grab, a rehash of the second film based yeah. on the way the plot was de- uh, demonstrated. Um, I got to see this at a, uh, a critic screening with um, the D23 guests at our uh, – we have Disney Springs. It's like this um, shopping center uh, of mm-hmm. attachment of Disney. And um, so the the theater there does a lot of the Disney premieres uh, for critics and stuff. And I went uh, with Big Tuna and my daughter was able to go with us. And nice. Um, I was so nervous because I love this the trilogy. Like the trilogy is one of my favorites. Toy Story three is um 
I think the film that made me cry the most <laughs> first. Like, like I wasn't willing to cry at movies up until Toy Story three, and Toy Story three broke that. Um, and I started like admitting that yeah, I do cry at movies, and so I have a big attachment to this film. Um, and so I went into four. Uh, very apprehensive nervous that it was just going to wreck a, a franchise that i adore uh it's directed by josh cooley stars tom hanks tim allen annie potts tony hale keegan michael key jordan peele christina Hendricks, keanu reeves and a lot of the returning voice cast in fact um uh the voice of the pig if i'm not mistaken yes it was um, um jonathan winters right not yes right? yeah yeah uh, so, no, yeah. Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head. That's what it was. Sorry. Don Rickles as Mr. Potato Head. Um, Don Rickles passed away. The family asked if he if they could somehow include him still in the film. And so they pulled like voice clippings from the other movies, stuff that was not used, stuff that was used, and were able to still have him be Mr. Potato Head. It's um, so many hours worth of yeah. um, voice work. And I love that it was at the request of the family. It wasn't like them just being like, oh, we're going to do it because we can um, but you get all of your familiar characters get small moments for the most part. Um, but uh, the big thing is the, that's your, your new characters are Keegan Michael Key um, and Jordan Peele as Ducky and um, Bunny. Uh, Keanu Reeves as Duke Kaboom, <laughs> who was probably one of my favorite additions, as I am a huge Keanu Reeves fan. Uh, Christina Duke Hendricks Kaboom. as Gabby Gabby. <laughs> that's pretty good. That was a solid. Um, and the big surprise was uh, Forky. That's my throat hurting doing that. Well, Tony Hale as Forky, um, who works uh, just so well. Um, I love Toy Story 4. It, it got a 98 on Rotten Tomato, a 84 on Metacritic, um, which is both really high scores. A meta score of 84 is really, really high. Um, I, I can't believe they managed to make a film for me. And I, I've been I've been upset at some uh, negative criticisms I've heard. I've heard people say it's inessential. I'm like, I disagree completely. I think they made this film feel essential, um, especially because I, I grew up watching the Toy Story franchise, you know. Um, and to me, this is a movie for people like me that we're at this point in our life. We're kind of in a midlife not quite a crisis per se, but we're in that transition period where we're making decisions. We're looking back on our lives. For me, my daughter is 15 now. She's entering her sophomore year. In a, a couple of years, she's going to be going off to college, and I'm going to have to let her go. And this movie hits those adult themes so well. And still being a very kid-friendly movie, but you're dealing with Woody, um, who really gets to be the true lead character for, the, I think, the yeah. first time in the franchise. It's not a co-lead. Um, he gets a lot of you know, a collaboration. And my favorite part of this film, I think is Bo Peep, uh, Annie Potts, who is Janine in Ghostbusters, a film that I adore, um, is so good as Bo Peep in this movie. Bo Peep, who's often had short shrift in the previous films, gets such a dominating role in this movie. And she's awesome. Um, I, I love the new characters. I think, uh, Ducky and Bunny, um, who in the trailer, I thought might feel like force and, and, too too intrusive end up being like so funny and just just the right amount of uh intrusive um and saying again duke kabooms he's got some <laughs> the way they give him lines is so funny uh yes i canada might be my favorite expression <laughs> ever um and it's just great i i love i think i love everything about this movie i had i i was 
literally just grinning the whole time. I did tear up a couple of times. Um, I actually cried almost the entire movie the second time I saw it because <laughs> I kept thinking about what was coming and it was just like breaking me. And I'm trying not to let my wife see because uh, my wife didn't go the first time, but she, we went a second time when it came out and my wife watched it and um, she also loved it. Uh, I to, it, This right now, it's one of my favorite films of the year. Um, it, it has cemented itself as a quadrilogy that I think is the best quadrilogy. I don't know that there's too many of those, but, uh, I don't know if they're going to do a fifth one or not. I'm, I'd be happy if they don't, but I was happy that they were, you know, when they weren't doing four and then four won me over. So, um, I, if you're one of those people, cause I, this was the movie I kind of alluded to earlier where people were, I've been seeing people saying like, they're not going to go see it. They're boycotting it. They're tired of this. And I'm just like, no, no. I understand. I get I get it, but this one's really, really good. Give this one a chance. Don't go see Dark Phoenix, but go see Toy Story Four. <laughs> like this one's great. Um and that's I really want to encourage uh Disney does not need your money, I get that. But man, don't de- don't deny yourself this experience, especially if you're a fan of the other three. Uh, especially if you're in, in like the, your mid thirties or early forties now. This movie is really designed for us. It's about parenting. It's about letting go. Um, it's about finding your, you know, your own voice and your own goals in life and like what, you know, your own purpose for living. And it's just such a relatable movie. And there's so many things you can uh, extrapolate from it. Um, plus, it's fun. It's funny. It's what a summer blockbuster should be. Uh, yes. And I, I loved it. So, Matt, I hope I hope you're on the same page. It sounds like you are. Well. Um... I haven't cried this much since Dark Phoenix and Men in Black International were released. I've got to say that now. But um, back here, I've said this on the last show when we were kind of um, summarising what was to come in this month's show. That in my in 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 a podcast I dropped in January about what I was looking forward to and what I wasn't looking forward to in 2019. Toy Story 4 was on that list, unsurprisingly. And the, the surprising part was I I questioned it. I was one of those people. I questioned it. What we know? What was the point of this film? We had a, we've got a trilogy which, which has a start and an end, and everything in between it is excellent. Do we need a fourth film? What, what what is the point of this other than making a few more pounds for Disney and Pixar? But, and I said if it's if this is a good film, I will eat my words. And I put on my napkin, I got my knife and forky, and I've eaten <laughs> those words because this was, this was triumphant. I thought I really thought that Toy Story four was magnificent. And I, I stand with you on the fact that I thought, because we spoke about it, this was going to be Toy yeah. Story 2, you know, decades later. But we didn't get that. This uh, Toy Story 4 actually stands on its own whilst managing to connect, obviously, to the other three films. But you can, if you're a kid, you can just watch these films by yourself, I think, this film. But, um, yeah, I, I love the fact that it got, it, it, it went down some deep places in terms of the narrative and uh, looking at ourselves and what our, what's our lot in life and... Um, the struggles and beliefs of toys, which can be reflected onto onto us. I thought it was. I thought the returning characters, as you mentioned, Bo Peep, that was explained quickly and very well. The new characters were introduced organically or introduced well. They didn't feel out of place. The old, the older guard, the the classic characters were. They were very much relegated to supporting characters. They're kind yep. of in it very much here and there, which was a shame. Um, but this is Woody's film and Bo Peep's film. Mainly, obviously, Woody as the lead, but this is their film, and I've got no problem with that. Key and Peele stuck in Bunny 
got the best laughs of the film and Duke boom wasn't far behind though. Nope. Um, I liked Christine Hendricks character of the Gabby Gabby doll. Yeah. What else? It, I thought the animation once again was, oh. it was outstanding. Some so of, it was almost photorealistic at some points. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it all leads up to a big ending, which of course we're not going to give anything away, but there wasn't a dry eye in the cinema. I was, I was in and that includes myself as well. I wish the ending had been a little bit longer. But um, that's just me and the sadist inside me. But um, for, I mean, this, this saga has been spanning 24 years now. We've got two films with 100% an RT and two at 98. Firstly, I don't think any quadrilogy, trilogy or saga of films can boast anywhere near that level of success. Uh, this, one's, this one's made over half a billion dollars as well. But it's a testament to Pixar for how well they've managed to keep this going. Um, Toy yeah. Story 4 gave this film... And the, gave the saga and characters a real purpose and a real a real send off. Now this feels like an absolute send off now for yeah. the characters, which makes me sad to say. And um, I ended off I ended my review with um, if I get out with these words I've put from from watching the original movie back home in Woking back in 1995 with my dad to looking forward to showing my own daughter this this film uh, very soon. It's been a hell of a journey and. That's what that's what I think it resonates with. I've heard a lot of people saying things similar, but people who saw that film in '95 have now grown up with these films, and this yep. kind of is like a journey for us as well. For like you said, how we see ourselves and that point of our lives, which we are at, and we are getting very deep about an animated film about a sheriff and a uh, <laughs> a Buzz Lightyear. But this is the you know the genius, if you will, of Pixar. And I don't try to throw that word around lot, uh, too much, but that they can emit and elicit these feelings out of you. So um, you know, we had Sheriff Woody, Buzz Lightyear, Randy Newman, Andy, Rex Ham, Slinky, Aliens, Potato Heads, and all the new guys. You know, this this what you know. It's great to see them again. They've been part of our life growing up. Yeah. I I think this may be, could be the best of the bunch, if not very much at the very top of the bunch. Um, but yeah, get get your Kleenexes ready because um, yeah, certainly yeah. goes for the heartstrings. And also, if if you're taking young kids. There is a, there are a couple of scenes which involve dummies, which might be a little bit frightening for them. The, vent, the ventriloquist um, dummies are horrifying. <laughs> they're like slappy from yeah. goosebumps. John and myself, we have our we have dad's corner where every now and then we think, hmm, right, we're dads. What can what how, how can we uh what can we say to the parents that other parents out there? But for me, those those dummies might scare the living bejesus out of the younger kids. And to be fair, I'm 34 almost, and they scared me at points. <laughs> but no, I thought this film. Uh, thundered along so well. I was never bored. I never once felt like this was a cash grab. It felt right. It felt necessary, and it felt like the perfect end to what is arguably the best series of films in yeah. film history. I mean, who would have thought when Toy Story came out that it would be like that? You would argue that, and I totally will back you on that. Um, exactly. It's so great. It's I love every movie. I love the characters so much, and that's the thing. Like. We were so concerned that this film would would maybe detract from or wreck characters or force mm-hmm. things, and I I just felt like it arced so perfectly and you know it makes sense to me the 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 deviation and then again bringing Bo Peep back in such a cool way, um just works and again the introduction of these new characters especially Gabby Gabby because Gabby Gabby could have felt a lot like the third movies um new lotso yeah lotso and uh it does it in moments but then it's not and it's that's one of the things that i really i really like about this film is it it feels organic the things that happen 
feel like they should happen the way they play out. And that's not always the case with especially animated movies where things are, you know, literally being built uh, or drawn or, you know, structured or however you want to argue it. Everything is fabricated. So a lot of times the stories feel fabricated. This feels so natural. Um, it's it's insane to me. Like, And I, I'm a general fan of Pixar. Um, but their sequels have often been lackluster. And Toy Story is the one exception where all four are exceptional. Yeah. And um, again, I know there's some people who don't like two. I think you're insane. Uh, hmm. I love three. <laughs> um, and four is... is I, I'm, a, I'm the same. I don't. I, I can't put them in order. I love all four, and there is not like I like one more than four. I think four looks a hell of a lot better than one, especially just having rewatched one. Like in my head, one looks amazing, and like when you watch it, like oh no, this is pretty bad animation. But it's you know ninety five. Uh, but by comparison, man, like the the this movie it's is chalk and cheese, man. Gorgeous. Like you could literally freeze frame, I think, and and hang it on a wall. Like it's so. Yeah amazing um that opening sequence with the rain too like where they really show off how great the it looks like you're just watching a real life movie like i thought it was a short film when it started i was like um is this the pixar short and i'm like oh no this is toy story <laughs> holy cat. uh so yeah um and no short in front of this one it wasn't was a surprising. short no um, no there wasn't um but oh, i mean i'm gonna say it again i just wish those ending bits had been that bit longer um just for just i just wanted that one what 10 seconds longer but i've got to say i mean tom hanks and tim allen together have created again another word i, I hate the use of this word online but iconic characters and voice acting they've given to mm-hmm. buzz and woody which will stand the test of time which uh, like that first toy story film has it stood the test of time and actually these sequels that have come after it may not I'm not going to sit here and say they are better. You could argue that they are, but they've but they've improved in every aspect along the way, whether it's storytelling and animation and um, emotional uh, weight and everything. So, to get that four films down the line to to still be breaking the barrier and delivering excellence is is, is ridiculous. And for all of those who are boycotting this film, go, go outside, get some fresh air, get feel the grass under your feet. There, you know, see the clouds and the butterflies. Get out of wherever you are and stop being silly. Basically, this is my rant now. Stop doing your boycotts. Stop your petitions against films. Stop hashtagging the Snyder Cut because it's not going to suddenly make that film any better. Oh, God. It's, you know, <laughs> just stop it. It's not going to help. Go uh... out, enjoy yourself, watch a good film, and just revel in it. And if you watch the film and still don't like it, at least you can say you've, you've, done, you've seen it. But don't try, you know, crapping on the film without even giving it time of day because... I think John thinks, and the majority of the movie-going world thinks, you're going to be missing out here. So, give this a chance, and you know, just stop with the petitions and the boycotts because it's 2019, and we're all grown-ups now. Well, at least some, I hope we are, anyway. I hope so. That's my rant done. Well, I I'm very happy with this film, and uh, it was one of my most anticipated of the summer, and yet mm-hmm. most apprehensive of the summer. Unlike the next film, which is one that I was super excited about, but I'd like to hear from you first yes i saw this film very very recently in fact and it's yesterday uh, i think i may have even seen it yesterday uh, from recording but uh, directed by danny boyle uh, and it stars himesh patel uh, the lily james who we've mentioned already this, this show sophia de martino ed sheeran kate mckinnon and joel fry now rotten tomatoes cumulatively has it at 62 percent and metascore at 56 percent so uh 
there's a there's a bondless future for Danny Boyle. So he's, instead, he's teamed up with Richard Curtis to give us this film. The top line premise is something happens in the world one day, and the existence of the Beatles is erased from the earth. Nobody's ever heard of the Beatles or or, or cigarettes or Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> meaning that struggling musician Jack Malik, who's played by uh, Hamish Patel, he can adopt the Beatles back catalogue of songs as his own and become world famous, which is exactly what he does. So he goes from his small town roots in Sussex in the United Kingdom, um, Suffolk, sorry, uh, and ends up in LA. So uh, supported by Lily James Ellie, Hitch Sheeran, Kate McKinnon's highly insensitive manager. Uh, and also interestingly, Anna de Armas was in the film, but her entire, uh, all of her scenes were cut out. So she wasn't in oh. it. And then she was removed from the film. So uh, because apparently it was to do with how her interactions with, Jack Malik and Patil put hit what in the light it shone on him wasn't favourable, so they took it out. So, huh. um, yeah, this was a film I had. I was quite looking forward to this film because I thought it had a pretty fun premise. I like Danny Boyle, I like Richard Curtis, and I, I love Lily James. I've mentioned that before, and I was looking forward to this. And do you know what? It's fine. It's just fine for me. I I I thought it was okay. It's a bit hokey. It's very much by numbers. Um, I mean everything everything that made the Beatles so revered. And legendary is pretty much ignored here. I'm going to say, for the sake of a few sing-alongs of the greatest hits, which isn't a bad thing. But the movie doesn't really offer anything particularly fresh or interesting for me, especially given that premise. So I thought the chemistry between Patel and Lily James was good. I, th- I didn't think Kate McKin- McKinnon felt out of place in her role, which I initially thought she was going to. I thought she hammed it up, as you expect, just well enough. Uh, Patel actually sung and performed the songs, which I thought was really impressive. I thought he had a really good voice. And he played piano and guitar on all the Beatles tracks. Um, so the uh, the crux of the story is choosing the right thing. What's best for you may not be best for the world. And, you know, that worked fine. There's nothing inoffensive about this film. It's uh, offensive, sorry. It's it's just fine. I mean, Danny Boyle does his best to make British towns seem so boringly quaint and antiquated. I had to really, honestly, I had to keep reminding myself of what decade this film was set in, the way it was shot, the way it's presented, the way people were dressing. I thought, nobody dresses like that over here. Nobody dresses like they're from the 50s. And it was really odd how they, especially Lily James' character, how they presented her. I thought, this is not how people dress. And then, of course, you go to LA and it's you know all vibrant and modern and then everybody's dressed out in the latest togs and it's all very... And I guess they're meant to be... I know they're meant to show the dichotomy between the two areas of the world, but I think Danny Boyle went too far down the let's make it this like a Beatrix Potter type town when mm. it's not really um ed sheeran's position as the greatest songwriter in the world which is quite frankly hilarious but despite all that it's an enjoyable watch uh, even if it doesn't hit the heights which i wanted it to i still came out of the film thinking you know what i did enjoy that i had my issues of it um it wasn't what i thought it was going to be but it wasn't as good as i thought it was going to be but unlike but this is what dark phoenix and international should have been a film which i didn't think was excellent but I at least had a good time and I enjoyed watching it. And uh, side note, apparently John Lennon's Irish. Now, if you watch the film, you'll hear what I mean. But uh, that's not a spoiler, by the way. But yeah, yeah, that we're threw me off guard. I was like, hmm. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed it. Wasn't blown away, which is which is a shame. But uh, how, about, how about yourself? Because I know you were looking forward to this. I was very much looking forward to this. And I was really upset because they did the world premiere at Tribeca, which I was literally there, but uh, it was sold out and I was unable to ah. get in. And so I was, I was disappointed. I am generally a big Danny Boyle fan. Um, I also, as you, as you have said, I, I love Lily James. Um, I do. I feel bad for Lily James because she has a, a bad habit of being cast as 
the girl who gives up everything for the man um who has no real ambitions of her own and is like i mean i love baby driver but let's be real deborah has literally nothing going mm-hmm. on in her life and here it's kind of the same and the proof in that is that there are multiple scenes in this film where she says we can't do this and then she shows up again in another scene to say essentially the same thing i'm like how many times are you gonna keep saying this like um here's the thing richard curtis if you're not familiar is notorious for writing rom-coms um love actually which is uh some people love but when you look at it it's pretty messed up and twisted um especially the (laughs) andrew lincoln part of it um but then about time i actually like quite a bit the it's the domino gleason and rachel mcadams movie about time travel kind of um i really enjoyed that i haven't seen pirate radio but uh this movie kind of made more sense to me when I realized who wrote the screenplay. Um, because the premise is pointless. Because it's really a, a simple love story. The premise should have been so cool. And explored a little more. And there was room for this to be more satirical. There was room for this to have all these major statements. Uh, the only one that I really think is made well is Ed Sheeran's kind of satirical commentary on his own career. And his... <laughs> own persona the i don't want to spoil a joke but there's one scene that really made me laugh real real hard invo- involving a cell phone um and sheeran shouldn't have been the funniest part of this movie but i think he is and to be fair joel fry who plays rocky the uh the yeah. um, sidekick kind of sidekick uh yes road the road rocking, manager yeah. um he was so funny i really liked him a whole lot he has this kind of naturalistic like stoner presence that just really works for the comedy um, I thought Ham- Hamish Patel was good. I didn't like one version. I think it was um, Hard Day's Night that he plays at the big concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't like their kind of punk version of that. Um, again, I am a, I'm a my uncles uh, were huge Beatle fans, and so like when I was eleven, I got my first guitar, and my uncles would drive me to Tampa uh, to go to I think it was um, Sam. It wasn't Sam Goody. Sam. Sam Adam? I don't remember. That store has been renamed and bought out by Guitar Center. But whatever the old store, it was like a big music like store. You could play the instruments, and it was just – we would go – like the whole drive there, we'd listen to the Beatles because they were like schooling me on being a Beatles fan. And um, so, you know, I, I, I love the Beatles, and I think the Beatles' influence on music. And I'm also – I'm a big advocate for pop culture, and I think pop culture and uh, art in pop culture – um, is important and should be appreciated and those like as a teacher who works at a school that embraces the arts and encourages our students to express themselves artistically and not uh you know cutting those programs in lieu of more testing and studying uh, only for tests um that we try to enrich our students lives with art this movie could have spoken to me on so many different levels and mm-hmm. it, and all of them it feels short and an afterthought to the kind of blob romance like the romance isn't even like powerful like i don't really i don't really want them to get together you know there's like i don't feel like uh, even the fact that there is even a struggle or a conflict for them getting together never makes sense it's just like wait what what is he even doing like exactly um none of it feels cemented enough and i and I do have to comment too because I, I like Danny Boyle and Danny Boyle likes to do like some weird flourishes with his filmmaking, but usually they add up to something big. There is a lot of weird, extreme Dutch angles in this movie 
that do not seem to do anything other than like I put the camera here. Like there's nothing. There's a lot of montages. Oh yeah, which the montages I I felt was like a idea of like music video. You know, um, even a weird kind of pull of the monkeys because when I think of the monkeys, I I don't know if you ever watched that show growing up, but I I used to watch the reruns. And the monkeys were full of montages, like them running and cutting through things, the music. That's what I thought it was going for. It doesn't – I don't think it executes well. Um, and that's just it. it. It's way better than like Dark Phoenix or Men in Black. But it's still – for a movie that I I saw so much potential that it would click for me personally because of my love of the Beatles, my love of movies about musicians, um, and the biggest flaw – hands down is kate mckinnon whether it's her <laughs> or the character because the character feels like it's from a different movie it, 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 she never makes sense to me in what's going on like why she's so you know flippant and, and blunt it, it doesn't feel like a manager would do any of the stuff she does um and from my experience with her as an actress it's her um i don't think her style clicks for me I feel like she is one of those improv type comic actors who they're going to do what they think should happen. And if the director does not rein them in, they will just, you know, break the movie. And that's what every time she was on screen, it was just like, I'm out of this movie. Um, and I would have thought Ed Sheeran would do that. But no, I actually thought he made the movie a little tighter and a little more cohesive. Um, and it connected this fictional world to our world. And I thought that was really cool. But I, I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities. Um, the movie that I think is going to end up doing this uh, for me, what I thought this movie was going to do for me, is going to be Blinded by the Light, the movie about the guy who finds Bruce Springsteen. Yep. Uh, I think that movie is going to do for me what this, I wanted yesterday to do. Is It's going to connect on an emotional level. It's going to make, you know, like my love of music will be echoed in the movie's love of music. I don't feel like that's here because even... Like, he's, he acts like he loves the Beatles. I don't ever feel like he really loves the Beatles that much. Like, it's more like, well, yeah, they're the Beatles. They're great. But so it, is other yeah. stuff. You it's know? more like he's thinking, right, I've heard, I, I remember these the, uh, these two or three songs, but then I struggle to remember all the other major songs that they did. Which, to be fair, I don't think I could do what he does in this movie. Like, I don't think I could, like, by ear figure out the Beatles songs and rewrite all the lyrics. I, I don't think I could do that without being able to like listen to the song, but still it doesn't feel like, you know, they didn't make the character feel like it was like a big Beatles obsessed no, yeah, you're nerd. Right. Um, you know, that it would happen so fast. And again, they don't really, they, they hint at the, the fact that the Beatles never existed, that the world is different, but not dramatically, but you know, they're little things, but they don't always explain it. And I don't know that it should explain it, but maybe have something that pays off with those things. And none of it pays off. It's just like referenced as like, ha ha. If you get it, you get it. But yeah, and that's that's what I meant as well. But there's there's so much where the story could have done. Yeah. But it just kind of what came off as a a greatest hits of the Beatles songs set to just a you know a well worn love story, which yeah. an undeserved love story. I mean, there there are some good jokes in it with um. You know, I, I won't go into any of them, but obviously when the Beatles didn't exist, other things then subsequently uh, are, are erased as well, which has some quite fun um, ramifications. But, I mean, if you want comedy, Richard Curtis is your man, and he's written some. I mean, he's, he's written, he got Four Weddings and a Funeral, the Bridget Jones films, if you like those. Um, for, for me, Blackadder, the greatest British sitcom of all time. Uh, Mr. Bean, he was the writer of that, Rick yeah. Dibley. And then even like newer films, like you mentioned, he kind of worked on Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. And um, Love Actually, like I mentioned, and War Horse, 
uh, horses. But um, so I found it funny when it needed to be, but and also they had James Corden in, which made me feel a bit queasy. Yeah, you um, don't like him. <laughs> you can keep him over there. Uh, uh, something about him which wraps me up the wrong way, and quite a few of us over here as well. We're quite happy for you guys to keep him. Um, I think the punk song that was played was they actually punkified help. Um, oh, I think okay, that's the song sorry. Punked up. Um, but uh, for me, I mean, I think it, the Beatles are great. For me, I thought from the sixties, the Small Faces were the better band. They're a British oh. um, mod band who then kind of went on to the members went on to do Humble Pie and things like that sort of stadium rock. But um, the, but the Small Faces were like a jingle jangle sixties pop band as well. Um, and I thought they were the better band, and I'd love to see a. Um, biopic about them or Stevie Marriott I think that would actually give some uh, weight to a biopic but for this one um, it was alright it cost 10 million dollars to get the rights to use the Beatles songs and the trademarks in it but which I think was half of the budget which is is, is ridiculous however it's, it's fine and I agree that the Bruce Springsteen one I think that's going to be handled better or or kind of play more to the themes that it really this one really should have been aiming for so yesterday isn't a bad film it's just not a great film yeah and that and i feel like again danny boyle's made some movies that i like train spotting one into um 28 days later and i i love steve jobs i think steve jobs doesn't get enough appreciation and did you like sunshine because we never we never got each other that i didn't love sunshine i don't think okay. i disliked it um it was it's a tough movie i think it needs more than one watch to really get everything that's going on uh movies oh, with I didn't mikey like it. yeah it, well, I, I i get that i totally get that <laughs> yeah. um movies with mikey uh is a youtube channel that i'm a fan of and he has a pretty solid episode where he talks about sunshine that made me appreciate it a little more um but yeah I, it, it it's definitely not one of my favorite boyle films um and I still haven't watched 127 hours, but I'm not a big James Franco fan. So like the idea of sitting through that story with mainly him is just not, not compelling to me. So yeah, um, that's, that's fair enough. Um, do you have anything else to say about yesterday? Uh, no, I really wish it was something a little more. Um, but yeah, dis- yeah the, slightly the, disappointed. The top four this month so far hasn't been incredible apart from one, obviously, but the, you know, so what we like to do now is go on to the best or worst of the rest. So the other films we saw that were released in cinema or streaming in the month of June. And we can't, we run through them at a bit of a quicker pace, but we, we tell you what we thought about them anyway. So we've got quite a few. So for the first two. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, John, do you want to uh, rattle off the first two? Because uh, one of them I haven't seen. I think uh, two of if we're looking at the same list, two of them we haven't uh, well, I'm sorry, one of the first two we haven't seen at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, well, uh, that's a good point. Okay, then, uh, the first three then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we, we both skipped Secret Life of Pets 2 this month. We just were not, uh, our, like, my kid's too old, your kid's maybe too young to go see it, or, like, as far as yep. theater going, and uh, I just I just did not want to see it bad enough to go by myself. Um, so we didn't see Secret Life of Pets 2. 
But uh, this, I'm very I interested in that film. Yeah, this is uh, a movie called Changeland, which I think is on VOD already. Um, it did release this month in a, a limited release. It is the directorial debut of actor Seth Green. Um, oh, is he, it? Yeah, he actually wrote and directed. Um, it stars him, uh, Rachel Bloom, Macaulay Culkin, Brenda Song, uh, Brecken Meyer, uh, Claire Grant, Rose Williams. It's re- it really, really stars uh, Brecken Meyer and Seth Green. It is a midlife crisis movie. Um, Seth Green and Brecken Meyer go to Thailand. It was supposed to be a honeymoon vacation, or uh, not a honeymoon as much as like a anniversary uh, retreat with Seth uh, Seth Green's wife, and um, in the movie, sorry, in the movie, and uh, right before he's supposed to leave, he finds out that she's having an affair, and rather than dealing with it, he goes on the trip. It was supposed to be a surprise trip, so she didn't know there was a trip even happening. He calls his best friend and takes him, um, and so this is kind of like a journey of like. You know, what do I do now? Do I do I confront her? Do I forgive her? Do I divorce her? Um, and while like kind of exploring this beautiful country, and I, it just really sat with me and resonated with me in a big way. I, I enjoyed the film a lot. I am a Seth Green fan. I think this movie shows that he has a bigger range than we maybe give him credit. Um, he's able to still be funny, but he's also uh, sympathetic. Um, he's very uh, understated in this movie. Breckenmeyer is. A really solid character uh macaulay culkin is playing definitely kind of a version of his persona now um <laughs> and is fun uh seeing him in a movie randy orton from the wwe has a weird kind of it's not a cameo he's not playing himself he's playing a character but i was so thrown when I, he showed up but i enjoy it um i don't know i it's a short film i found it very enjoyable it's it's a midlife crisis i would say it's the next evolution of mumblecore so if you're <laughs> oh, if nice. you're familiar with like the mark duplass films that are traditionally mumblecore is like 20 somethings you know dealing with their their problems this is like the next stage where it's a little older uh they're hitting that middle age area and now they're debating what's the next what do i do next what do i do now um that's what this felt like and i i really liked it um so that should be if it's not on vod yet it will be soon because it is not getting a big theatrical run but if you're a fan of seth green like i've i've grown up being a big fan of his um, I like a lot of the stuff he's written, and so I, I was eager to see this, um, and I was not disappointed. Awesome, Miller. I will f- try and search out a copy of it, and I don't know when it's be- even when it's being released in the UK. Um, I'm going to have a look on the VOD, because I'd imagine it'll be on some like Amazon Prime or something over here. But um, yeah, I'm, it sounds interesting. The, the, the cast sounds like a right mixture of um, personalities as well, and the fact that Macaulay Culkin's in it. I've I've got a strange obsession with watching something with him in it. I don't know why, but something about that I'd like to see more of, of him. But I'm going to check it out if I can find it. But um, I I've no idea when it's coming out, even when in the UK. But as I always say, if it, if it comes out and I watch it, I'll I'll let you know. Awesome. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, sir. Uh, next up, what's next, JB? We got uh, Shaft. The um. I don't know how many Shaft movies there actually are. Is there yeah, just the three? Third one, isn't it? Fourth. There's yeah. a 70s one, which is like the original black exploitation flick. Yep. Uh, with Superfly, you got the 2000 one. Yeah, with, and then with there's Sam this one. I've not seen either and then of there's the, this one, but I'm... the first two. Um, so I went into this one having only read about the other movies to kind of get like a feel for what they were. Um, I actually had a lot of fun with this film, and uh, I thought the performances. I'm a big Sam Jackson has 
become just a uh i know i'm going to enjoy him in a movie um and i really liked him a lot in this film i i thought jesse t usher was really good um and when richard roundtree shows up i think he's a solid addition uh i liked regina hall alexander ship in this as well um yeah i i just i don't think this is like an amazing movie but i thought it was a fun summer action kind of blockbuster that has some problems it it definitely it's not it's not woke uh at all like a lot and (laughs) some of that is played for a joke and i don't know if that's always okay um but yeah uh, you know it's it's dealing with the the being a a continuation of an exploitation genre um so it it pushes some boundaries for sure but i overall had fun with it and thought it was entertaining the shaft the beacon of equality um, I'm not sure anyone could ever say that about this film. This was thrown straight onto Netflix over here in the UK, mm. and I think a few other countries in the world as well, because I was going to go and see it at the cinema with my uh, unlimited pass, as, as we get, as we've argued about before. But um, I went into work recently, and a couple of the guys, they said, oh, did you have you seen this? Because they, they know what I do, what, what I, I'm a movie man. I said, no, I haven't been to see it. They said, it's on Netflix. I said, what, the new one? I said, yeah. And they said Samuel L. Jackson. I thought, well, oh, that must mean the old one. So the 2000 one. So I came home. I was like, well, I'll be damned. The, the 2019 was just thrown straight onto Netflix over here. So um, I got to sit down in the comfort of my own home and watch it. And um, oh boy, yeah, I think I think you liked it a bit more than I did. It's not the it's not that it's a bad film per se. It's just it's certainly a throwback feeling movie in the terms that the guys are he's gun toting badasses and mm-hmm. the women are. Well, they're the dolls, basically. They're there to slobber at the men in their guns and be at the beck and call whenever the man fancies, you know, having a bit of fun, shall we say. Um, I liked Sam Jackson and Jesse T. Usher. I thought the two of them actually were were really good together and made a good double act. And in most of the comedy, I think, came from them. I agree with you about Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson playing... And Sam Jackson essentially plays angry Sam Jackson, and it's fab- fabulous. But he plays him in most films. But it's fa- it's fabulous. Nothing more fun than just watching a rampaging Samuel L. Jackson. So if you like that, you're getting it here. And yes, he drops some MF bombs as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Regina Hall's in this, but I kind of forgot she was. I think she was done a disservice in this film, I think. I thought Alexander Shipp was very good in it. I think I like her in most things she's in. But it's everything you'd expect from a Shaft film. So if you like the Shaft series, you're going to like this. If you don't, then you probably aren't going to like this. I kind of thought it was all right, but... I wasn't I wasn't sucked in particularly by it. I found myself you know I I like the back and forth between Sam Jackson and Jesse Usher yeah the most but that aside me too and he wasn't really into it all that much I will point out to you I I am kind of a sucker for hipster humor um I I, I have a, fr- a very good friend who is uh quote unquote a hipster and I make a lot of hipster jokes in his <laughs> like mocking him but also out of love it's never like a genuine like and I have a lot of hipster qualities and honestly Corey. Uh, who will deny all day that she's a hipster that I do the uh, movie club with <laughs> totally has hipster tendencies as well as she has been uh, touting vinyl for years now. Hipster, um, And Jesse T. Usher's character gets a lot of those hipster jokes and Samuel Jackson's often the one making them. And I can't help, but just, I laugh at those. Uh, they just work, they work for my sense of humor. And so again, I, I, I not saying the movie, the movie definitely can offend people and I totally get why it might. Um, and I don't support those ideas, but I can't help but be entertained uh, by the the performance of Sam Jackson. Again, I just I just enjoy Sam Jackson. He makes me laugh. So, yep, yeah, I can't argue that. Like I said, I wasn't the I wasn't the biggest fan in the world, but 
you know, I enjoyed it for, 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 for the most part, mainly for those two um, characters. So next up we had Anna, which I don't believe you saw, John. No, I missed it. Now it's out of my theatre already. So, <laughs> Well, I, I did see it. It's uh, directed by Luc Besson, um, who's taken a, who's sort of gone to something a lot smaller uh, since his last film, which is uh, Valerian, of course. And it stars Sasha Luss, Cillian uh, Cillian Murphy, Luke Evans, and Helen Mirren. So, not a bad looking cast in more ways than one. But um, basically, the film is about, and I mean this, I don't mean this disingenuously. It's basically about a sexy lady played by Sasha Luss, who masquerades between being a supermodel and an assassin. And I use the adjective sexy because that is what she is there for. She is purposely in this role for that reason. Um, it evokes Red Sparrow and. And actually, uh, La Femme Nikita, which Luc Besson directed way God knows how many years ago now. But, um, but it's just another by-numbers assassin flick, I thought, which feels a bit dull. Which is a shame, because it's you've got one one part of the film's dealing with the, the assassin world. The other part's dealing with the world of supermodels. And I feel there's like some sort of... There can be crossover between the two worlds there somehow. And it's ripe for comparison. But they never, they never dive into connecting those two worlds. But... Um, the movie ignores us anyway. It can't, it treats its titular character as a sex bag for parts, which is a shame. Um, Anna, they, you know, Luke Besson basically treats Anna as a walking, yeah. Uh, and it just kind of demeans the film, I think. Um, and she's not the greatest action hero. She's fine. But uh, some of the set pieces are very good, admittedly. Some of the action scenes are very decent, but it just felt a bit lacklustre. And it's another... Nobody really comes out of this of any particular greatness, if you will. Uh, and it's just another forgettable assassin film to lump in with the others from the past few years. And I will stress, none of my review that was meant to be disingenuous towards the actress or anything. It is the way she is written and portrayed by the director in this film undermines her, which kind of then undermines her arc and story throughout the rest of the film as well, I thought. But it's it's not the worst assassin film in the world in the last few years one peppermint probably wins that but um oh, it's it's not a great film it's it's another forgettable film from this month and it's disappointing because Bassan has done a couple of films that i absolutely love but he's done a lot of things that i don't love including yeah. uh, valerian and this is like the polar opposite of Valerian. In the sense that Valerian was this big bombastic visual spectacle, and I didn't like that film, but you know it looked impressive. Yeah. But it lacked something else. This film was a much smaller, uh, more intimate film, so he's kind of stripped back a bit, and it's strangely by numbers as well for for Besson. It's very, you know, it's very uh, A to B to C to uh, C to D without any kind of real great deviations from what you may expect. Um, so whether it's just playing it safe or it's just maybe or it's just a lack of ideas, but it's just it's just not it's just again not particularly very good. Um, and whereas Red Sparrow, lots of people didn't particularly like that. I didn't mind it; it went on for a bit too long. But I thought it was okay in the end. And um, and that's also about a a female who uses her body and her looks to yeah to get what she needs from the under from the criminal underworld. This is slot plays slightly different, but I didn't mind that film too much. But this one just felt it just felt too box ticky for me. Um, so uh, go out and watch it. Honestly, if everyone's listening, go check it out. You may have a different opinion, but um, or when it comes out on VOD, yeah, yeah. check it out. But um, I wasn't a huge fan. I didn't hate it, but I wasn't a massive fan of it. And I believe our next film on the list, we disagree slightly. 
We do, yes. Uh, take us away, John. Um, Child's Play, the remake, 2019, uh, where it's no longer a possessed doll, but a computer, like, basically Alexa in doll form. Uh, full robot form, honestly, because the doll walks and stuff, which was... Like, I expected it to at some point, but apparently that's just a feature of the doll anyways. Um, which is like, that's that's pretty high-tech technology that we're getting into there. But um, stars Aubrey Plaza, uh, Mark Hamill is the voice of Chucky, Gabriel Bateman as the kid Andy, uh, Brian Tyree Henry, um, Tim Matheson, blah, 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 who cares. Uh, a guy... Hmm. Trent Redekop, who totally looks like a knockoff Jack Black in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was Jack Black. Right? Like, multiple times, I'm like, is that Jack Black? There's I no way that's Jack Black. Um, so, uh, one, the odd thing is that Child's Play came out the same day as Toy Story 4. Both feature a kid named Andy to some degree. Um, and you gotta wonder if, you know, the fact that uh, Toy Story chose their kid to be named Andy... 10 years after the original child's play i think um uh, about eight to ten years yeah it's a weird coincidence but uh nonetheless i i did not enjoy child's play um i i am a fan of the old ones uh, in that they're like schlocky b films like i always yeah. found them entertaining and enjoyable i like slasher movies uh and i i found you know chucky being a slasher villain was was not something i would have expected and um, I had I took a lot of issues with a lot of the logic in this film. Um, I don't think the way the the kills take place makes sense based on why he's killing. Um, and some of the things he does after the kills, I think, are like they're so horror movie tropish that they don't make sense to the character. And I'm I am big on that. That's a that's a nitpick I have with a lot of things. I I feel like character motivation should be um explain with their actions and I, I don't feel like that makes sense in this film in a lot of cases um i didn't hate the movie though I, I feel like i've come down harsher on it uh in my criticisms of it because there are those people who are like really really like oh it's great i'm like no it's not come on don't oversell this movie it, it has moments um i never really found it to be uh totally enjoyable i i thought aubrey plaza and uh, brian tyree henry were kind of wasted um and I'm a big fan of both of them. And I, I have, Brian Tyree Henry has become one of my favorite like actors. If he's in something, I'm like, oh yeah, let's do this. Um, and th this movie just overall felt real disappointing. And so I, I was not, I didn't find it funny. I found like a lot of the commentary. I felt like the tone was just all over the place too. And it just, it just didn't work for me. And I love horror comedies should be noted. Cause that's where a lot of people that I've heard say they like this. It's they thought it was really funny it it i didn't find it to be very funny so it never clicked and again i i like horror comedy so i am one that laughs at dark stuff this just didn't <laughs> click for me so Boo. oh i i thought it was i i thought i did enjoy this film i i took the the last syllable of that away i thought the film was fun as rather than funny because i did have a good time with the film it wasn't as dark or as scary as i thought it was going to be or imagined or even hoped it would be because i was hoping for you know that that kind of fun vibe or funny vibe, if you will, but with some actual sort of like proper scares or proper sort of <gasps> moments, but didn't really get, <clears throat> excuse me, get that hurt my throat, get those too much. But I liked the doll and how Chucky, who's now called a buddy doll rather than the good guy. I liked how um, it was a computerized doll rather than a possessed cursed or voodoo stricken doll. I thought it was quite, quite fun. I quite, I look, I liked that. And it is very modern. Um, plus it lent itself to other 
modern technological wonders like video recording and voice recording, which pushed the story on as well. Yeah. Mark Hamill, the Jedi Joker himself, I thought was good. In the row, I thought he was a. I thought it was a good. The fact that the fact they managed to get him in the first place was very good. But I liked what he did with the doll. He's got a very creepy singing voice as well. Yeah, Gabriel Bateman's solid. Um, I thought I didn't really like him to start with because I thought he sort of he seemed like the sort of kid I'd love Chucky to slash apart. But he got better in the role. Tyra, uh, Brian Tyra Henry is fun as uh, Detective Norris. Aubrey Plaza, who was so good in Ingrid Goes West a few years back, I thought she was committed in her role, and she's good. And she has good uh, good chemistry with uh, Gabriel Bateman, who plays her son. Um, there's a guy in there called Davis, David Lewis, who plays a guy called Shane, who's a yes. sort of abusive uh, boyfriend. And he's so cardboard and so like, uber bad compared to the other characters. So I think they really try to ground these other characters and even the doll to an extent. But this guy felt like, a, felt like he came straight out of the 80s with the way he was portrayed. And he is just like, he's just like a walking plot point. Yeah. It's a... Uh, Basically, so you watch the film, you know what I mean. But so you know, yeah, I thought there were a few moments where I thought were gen- genuinely thought were very funny. Uh, there was some good dark humour, I thought, but um, the the humour comes at the expense of horror. There's there's gores and there there's gore and there is kills or are kills, but it's like I mentioned, it's never really scary, scary. There's probably enough here to satisfy the sort of death hounds out there, but um, I was hoping for a bit more. The final showdown goes a little bit OTT, and the trailer gave away some of those major moments. Yeah, but um, which the studios have got to stop doing that. They really have to stop, man. The marketing it's getting is getting silly. I mean, Pet Cemetery was the worst one this year, but mm-hmm. this one went to great pains to give away a lot that happened. But um, there's also ways that maybe the Chucky doll can return. And look, this has made thirty million bucks off a ten million dollar budget. They they're coming back for a sequel. That's I think that's without a doubt. Um, which shouldn't come as a surprise, but I don't know whether or not fans of the Chucky saga, because there's what there's five, six, seven of the films. I like the first one. The rest get progressively straight to DVD bad. Mm-hmm. Whether they will like this film, um, I I don't know. But I think casual horror fans will enjoy this, and I found myself having quite a lot of um, fun through it. So I, it's it's not the best horror film of the year. It's not the best horror film of the decade or anything silly like that. But you know. I wanted it to be good, and I was I was surprised by by what I got and that at how I actually how much I actually did enjoy it. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lie, I did want a little bit a little bit more. And I know Don Mancini, the dude who came up with Charles Play, wasn't a fan of this, and he's got his own TV series coming with Chucky. So I'll be interested to see how the TV series featuring the original Chucky fares against this kind of new um, iteration, new saga with the Buddy Doll. Chucky goes, but I never thought Charles Play would have like competing um, factions against each other. But um, yeah, I, I, it was right for a remake, and I think the remake was was pretty good. Wanted more, but it was pretty good. And we'll agree to disagree. Um, the next movie yeah. I didn't get to see, and I I'm I'm not really driven to go see it because I haven't been thrilled with a lot of the uh, the Conjuring verse, if you will. Um, what was your take on Annabelle Comes Home? Annabelle, well, firstly, Annabelle Comes Home. I put in my review, this sounds like a feel-good 80s movie. Annabelle Comes Home. Uh, it's not a feel-good 80s movie. It's a very, very modern horror film. Uh, Gary Dorberman directs it. He's part of the Conjuring verse. It's the third film in the Annabelle saga, uh, which for me, just like the Conjuring saga, is up and down. First, Annabelle was uh, not good. Annabelle creation was surprisingly very good. And this one, to me, felt smack in the middle. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just fine. There's um 
there's some real good moments in this film which usually involve the doll. And the doll is the doll the Annabelle doll is used to good measure. You don't see her walking around or anything silly like that. So they are restrained in terms of what they do with the doll, which I think is crucial. Because the moment that thing starts pulling a chucky and walking around, I'm out. Because it will look it looks silly and it removes all the mystique. Because we are reminded at the beginning of the film that the doll itself isn't possessed. The doll is a conduit of evil. It attracts evil. It lures in evil spirits. So I don't want to see it walking around and becoming a slasher. doesn't do that in it. But what Gary Dorberman does do is he throws every other bad guy you could think of at you. So there's literally every bad guy in the house. But because the premise of the story is the Warrens, uh, Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, who are in this film, um, as opposed to the other two Annabelle films, uh, we all know that they live in, in their house. They have that room with all these evil artifacts hidden away, locked away including the Annabelle doll. They go away for the weekend, um, and their young daughter, who is played by McKenna Grace, she great. is left in the in the house with babysitters, played by um, Madison Eisman of Jumanji fame, and Katie Sirif, and already the synopsis sounds awful, but one of them decides to go into the room, the babysitters, into this evil artifact room, and you know unleash all this hell upon the house. So basically they have to survive the night, which... The more I think about it, it sounds awful. Um, but it's not—it's not bad. It's not a bad film. I thought McKenna Grace is solid, leaving a, leading the film. Madison Eisman's fine. Uh, Katie Sarif suffers from poor writing. She does the best she can. But they've got like this silly um, thing that horror films do, where they've got this kind of innocent blonde and like the the naughty brunette type thing going on, this shtick going on, and it's just really just naff from the get go. You think just drop it. Um, there's a guy in it called Michael Cimino. He plays Bob. He's got some actually real good comedy in it. He The fun and comedy he brings isn't out of place and it works within the film and it alleviates some of the some of the kind of monotony and the sameness that this film is now bringing to the franchise because it's not bringing anything new. And whether the seventh film in a saga should be reinventing the wheel is another story. But the Conjuring saga needs a shot in the arm, I think, because the Conjuring, I think, was a dirtily terrifying. I thought it would scare the hell out of me when I saw it. Didn't like the second one. I've mentioned what I thought about the Annabelle films. The Nun was awful. The Curse of La Llorona was not good either. So in terms of... Because everyone looks at The Conjuring first, it is money-making machine, but the films are actually... You know, it's, the balance is skewed towards not particularly a very good output, I don't think. Now, maybe The Conjuring 3 can change that, but I don't think it's going to. I think we're going to get another slick, another smooth, another modern-looking horror film which plays to the same uh, conventions and cliches that this film does. Because this film started to go to some really cool places, some really cool imagery, but it pulled itself back in by just being, then being too too cliched. It undercut itself at every turn. And so just as it started to get good, Gary Dorman thought, nope, enough of this. Let's just let's throw in the jump scares and let's throw in the loud bangs and all the other stuff you know is going to come. So it's it's fine. It's just down the middle. The best part is you get to hear Frida Payne's Band of Gold at the beginning. I do like that song. The One of the worst parts is the awful decor. The real 70s decor in the Warren's house is the scariest part of the film. But <laughs> it's straight down the middle. Annabelle 1, not good. Annabelle Creation, very good. This is right in the middle. It's just average to me, which is a shame because I so I, The Conjuring is one of my top 10, I think, horror films of all time. Yeah, I really hold that film in high esteem. But everything that's come before, after it, for me anyway, has been disappointing. Apart from that Annabelle creation. So uh, again, 
it's an enjoyable horror film. It's like it's a good film. It's a good date night film. I think you're going to go and take your boy or a girl out for a date. Go and watch Annabelle Comes Home because it's it, it's not just scares. There's some fun cutesy comedy in there as well. But if you're expecting a you know a grimy horror film, yeah, you're not going to get it. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure I'm going to make it out to see it in theaters um, because I have been the diminishing returns on this uh, Conjuring verse have been pretty consistent. So. Um, all right. I saw Late Night, the Mindy Kaling written film, uh, co-stars with her and Emma Thompson, um, where Emma Thompson, it's called Late Night, if I didn't say that, uh, Emma Thompson's a late night talk show host, kind of has like a Conan O'Brien type vibe where she'd been doing the show for a long time and now they're, they want to replace her, um, and she has to try to make a change and she's not really sure how to go about that, um, I I actually found a lot of joy in this movie. I thought it was very funny. I love Emma Thompson in this film. It, it is really her role. Like Kaling has uh, is significant to the movie, but it's really more about Emma Thompson. I feel like both characters get an arc um, and are both engaging. Um, I did not watch the Mindy Project, but I am familiar with Mindy uh, from The Office, uh, the American Office. Matt, sorry, um, and. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just this movie. My wife and I went like in the middle of the, uh, an afternoon, and we both really loved the film. Um, it's there's a lot of good jokes. Uh, I don't know. It just worked for me. Um, I think the idea of again, it's kind of this professional like seeing how this works, like what a, what the writers' room looks like of a, of a late night show. Um, this person who uh, knew who they were, but currently is kind of like changed who they were to continue like complacency they've become very complacent with their their role and so they they haven't been pushing the envelope and that drive to uh to make the change i don't know i something clicked for me and my wife we both really love this film um i don't think it's like a masterpiece but i do think it's really solid and i i think it's one of the funnier comedies i've seen this year um like i'm not counting toy story i think toy story is the funniest movie this year but uh the the out the movies that are rep you know saying they're a comedy i think this has been one of the funnier ones um so it worked for me i enjoyed it a whole lot and i recommend checking it out yeah i'm looking forward to catching this i'm going to catch it this week because it's still showing at some of the smaller theaters around here so um for just before we move on to the next one dame emma thompson her royal harness dame how does mm. she stack up against her men in black character oh uh i can't even believe she did men in black like it, <laughs> she feels so unnecessary in that movie that it's surprising she did it she's so good in late night i love her in this in this film i didn't realize she has a stand-up background um which i didn't know that either. Uh, i i did i was uh we just did our top five um what is it top five hollywood outsiders so we were looking at um actors who got established somewhere else before they became actors uh like so like the rock was a wwe wrestler and then he became an actor that kind of thing and um we were debating on stand-up comedians and while doing research for like stand-ups who then became successful actors emma thompson's name came up and i was like wow uh which I made sense because she does stand up in this and a lot of times non-stand-ups doing stand-up feel very forced and unnatural in movies and i thought her performance when she was doing stand-up felt very organic and uh, it had me laughing as much as her fake audience that you know was laughing on purpose, but I was cracking up at a lot of her bits and the way she delivered the jokes. And apparently, there's a background there, so uh, she she crushes the role. Well, I I look forward to watching it. I've, it's one John mentioned it before. 
how 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 much he enjoyed this film, and I've been meaning to see it. But it's one of the ones which I just haven't been able to. But uh, I'm definitely going to go and watch it uh, based on that. But I like Emma Thompson in in most anything, and Mindy Kaling is proving herself to be a very very able writer. So yeah, looking forward to to seeing that. And uh, the next film is a uh, a film I know John was de- desperate to see, and I know he has mm-hmm. seen, and that is The Dead Don't. Die, directed by Jim Jarmusch. And get this for a cast. Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton, Chloe Sevigny, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover. You get Caleb Landry-Jones. You get um, you get cameos of plenty in here as well. And hey, let's not the, short shrift uh, Tom Waits, man. Let's not short shrift. No, you're right. Tom Waits is probably the most standout character in the entire film. You get Venkman, Wren, Dr. Lowe, the ancient one in this film. There's so much good going for it. It's a... It's it's a Jarmusch zombie film. It's the best mm-hmm. way I can put it. So it's Jim Jarmusch's take on another genre, um, and it, it, it it's obviously his his satirical look at the world framed yeah. in a zombie film, shall we say? Now I thought this film was good. I enjoyed Bill Murray. I enjoyed the cast of this film. I like I like really think Adam Driver is a fabulous actor, God. and him and Bill Murray deadpanning together. Uh, are just fantastic to watch. I think Chloe Sevigny gets kind of, I think she gets short shrift somewhat as well in this film. She she, she has to play it a bit straighter. Um, and Tilda Swinton is just as bizarre uh, as uh, as her image looks in this film. She she plays a Scottish woman, but um, yeah, I mean, it's okay. It got a bit too on the nose for me. It got too satirical at times, but. Um, I thought it was all right. It, just wasn't, it wasn't as good as I hoped it would be, but I think we are on slightly different uh, planes here. But I thought it was all right. I think you thought it was a bit better. A little. I would say I would go it's good leaning towards great, but not quite great. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably like my fourth favorite Jarmusch film. Um, I, my favorite is Patterson. Oh, I love uh, that film. I, I just think it's, uh, again, Adam Driver... I think might be underappreciated of how amazing an actor he is. Um, he's just been nominated for a Tony on Broadway as well, so oh, he's not just doing yeah. it on this big screen. So yeah, he uh, the the I was my hotel was across the street from the theater that had his uh, play in it actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was at Tribeca, but I him and Kevin Russell, yeah. I love the cast. Obviously, um, the story does a couple of things. I wish maybe it explored a little more. Um, I had a lot of fun. I loved all the the George Romero and zombie movie references because I am a big fan of the, yeah, the zombie out, yeah. genre. Um, I I thought there was some really fun quirky things. Uh, I love Steve Buscemi's uh, racist character having the MAGA hat, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and his uh, best friend is yeah. <laughs> Oh God! There's so many little jokes. Uh, I even I love Bill Murray's attitude about that character. <laughs> like, um, there's there's a lot of great laughs, and uh, I saw it at a public critic screening. So I was there as a critic, but there were um, oh no, I'm wrong. I, it was a public screening. I got passes for for this one, and um, the the crowd while we were watching the movie, everyone seemed really like on board. They were laughing at the same moments, but when we were walking to our cars, I, and I was overhearing conversations. There was definitely a lot of people who were just not sure what the movie was doing. Um, I found it as I've I've thoroughly studied Jarmusch at this point. I've missed a couple still. I haven't seen Ghost Samurai or Ghost Dog, the Samurai, whatever the title is. I can't find that one right now. It's like it's out of print and I, it's not available easily digital for some reason. But I've seen most of his other films, and I, I'm 
I'm a big fan of him. I like what he. I like that he has a message and he's not concerned with uh, catering it to your taste. And so this movie for me just kind of clicks on a lot of those buttons. Again, I don't think it's his best film, but I do think it's solid. And if you're a Jarmusch fan like like I am, I, I think this movie really works. And again, I'm also a major Bill Murray fan. And I am at the point where I'm going to say I'm a major Adam Driver fan. Like his <laughs> name on something will make me come see it. Uh, but to be even a little further, I'm also a major Tilda Swinton fan. Um, yeah. sh- she's super quirky in this movie. Uh, but uh, very very enjoyable. I, I I have to say I think I I do love this movie. I think it will definitely get added to my collection. Um, and I'll probably watch this a, a few times uh, once I own it. So, um, yeah, definitely a little hotter on it than you were. But you know, maybe it helped that my crowd was like packed. It was a packed house because that does help. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I think I just wanted it to be. I don't know. I was to be funny, but again, cause I, just like you, I love Patterson, and I didn't expect. An awful lot from Patterson, but it was one of my top, I think, two or three films of that year. It was such an affectionate, affectionately wonderful little story, like enclosed story. Um, and I just thought the dead don't die would be. I didn't think it'd be anything like that, but I just had higher expectations, and I think, um, I think I'm disappointed that I just thought it was good, and that's all I want from a film is to think it's good. But I think I just wanted it to be excellent. Um, but I agree. Anything that uh, Bill Murray or Tilda Swinton or Adam Driver's in. I'm running to, and I think Adam Driver's next film, other than The Rise of Skywalker, there's a Noah, uh, Noah Baumbach film, which stars himself, Baumbach, uh, and Scarlett Johansson, Laura Dern, Ray Liotta, and it's a comedy. So uh, I'm looking oh. forward to seeing him in a kind of, whether it's a straight-up comedy, um, because obviously the, the, uh, Jim Jarmusch has his own brand of deadpan, but uh, I'm looking forward to that, and of course we're going to see him as Kylo Ren one last time in The Rise of Skywalker. So I'm, yeah, he's an actor who I look out for, Whatever he's in, whether he's in a galaxy far, far away or driving a bus, I'm always up for some more Adam Driver. But yeah, The Dead Don't Die was, it was okay. Um, Before we wrap up, uh, this next movie we're actually going to spend a little more time with next month because it's officially a July release. I did see it in June at a critic screening, but um, I saw Ari Aster's new film, Midsummer. Um, It's his follow-up. Somehow, I don't know how he was able to do this film so fast. Um, because Hereditary is just a, a year ago. Around, yeah. yeah, um, and it doesn't feel like it was done fast. Like, I, that's something I think important. It doesn't feel like this was a rush, like, we gotta get you out, you're hot now, like, we need to, we need to jump on this action. Um, uh, Midsummer is a different movie. Do not go in expecting Hereditary 2. It is its own thing. Um, it is a horror film. It is troubling. It is, uh, there are, uh, I think Aster proved in Hereditary that he's able to frame images that will be burned into your brain and haunt you forever. <laughs> he repeats that in Midsummer. Um, there are some scenes that I'm just like, well, never going to forget that. And <laughs> um, it's a weird movie. I think the performances are really strong. Uh, Francis Pugh, right? Florence um, Pugh. Florence, Florence. Uh, she won me over at the beginning of the year with uh, Fighting With My Family, which is still in my top five for the year. Um, partly because I'm a huge wrestling nerd and uh, it does such justice to the wrestling world. But um, her performance here is fantastic. Uh, you, Jack Rayner is giving one of his better performances. He's been up and down. You know, He's done some really great stuff like Sing Street. Um, and I would argue F- uh, Free Fire he's really good in. And then this. But then he's also done some really crappy performances, especially his, uh, his role in On the Basis of Sex is horrible. I, I just think he is not playing the character well at all. But um, he works here, and uh, it, it's it's a crazy movie. 
Um, if you're a fan of like old horror like The Wicker Man, uh, which I, I keep comparing it to that, but it, it is so clearly inspired by The Wicker Man, the original, not the Nick Cage movie. Please. Um, please. Uh, you will like this as well. It's definitely that type of horror um, and completely different because Hereditary, I when I think of it, I can only see darkness. Like it's such a dark movie. Like it's it seems like it's always at night and, and that's <laughs> not a complaint. It's just that's what I associate with that film. Uh, this movie is the total opposite. It's almost always in daylight, um, and it's it that adds a weird element to the horror. You know, it adds this kind of hallucination type feeling to the movie, and it's there's some really cool stuff visually. It, it's a really interesting film. I'm not trying to dwell on it too much, but I if you get a chance to see Midsummer, I say you go see Midsummer. It's pretty great. I'm disappointed. I'm going to whip myself thoroughly later on because I'm a horror nerd. I love horror films. I haven't seen this yet. I just haven't been able to find the time uh, in my obviously busy lifestyle as a rock star. But um, I haven't been there, so I'm going to go and see it tomorrow or Monday uh, upon recording this um, because I thought Hereditary was, from what, I, from what I remember when the audience weren't ruining it, was damn good. I want to rewatch it again soon. But I think Florence Pugh, Florence Pugh is a magnificent actress. I really think she's going to be something else and she won me over in Lady Macbeth a few years ago, which ended up as my, I think, number two film of that year. Um, and then everything else she's done since, even if the film wasn't good, she is always magnificent in it. So I can't wait to see this. What I will say before we move on to the next one, what I want to ask is, I've, I've said, well, for me anyway, Jordan Peele, oh, well, the Get Out and Us, I'm saying his films have become an event films now. When it, whatever his third film's going to be, not the Twilight Zone, but his third film, you know, people, if people are going to rush this, it's going to become an event. Ari Aster's done Hereditary. It got the hype and the buzz. Midsummer is creating hype. It's creating buzz for these image for this, you know, for this crazy weird imagery. Are his films going to kind of be kind of become like cult um, event films? Would you say for like in, on a smaller level? I think so. Um, it's funny because I, you know, like you mentioned earlier, people at your work ask you about Shaft because they know you're the movie guy. I get that with my my friend groups and circles of like coworkers and stuff. Um, well, I'm not at work right now because summer vacation, but I did have a friend who I talked to on the regular but never really asked me about movies because he's not like a movie guy, uh, ask about this particular film um, because it's not his wheelhouse, but he's so <laughs> – there's this like buzz about uh, Aster and, you know, the new horror, quote-unquote new horror, like with Jordan Peele and then Aster <laughs> that we kind of have this like uh, – the word renaissance has been tossed around quite a bit. And, you know, I, I feel like maybe because when you look at a lot of the other horror getting made, the stuff that Peel's doing, the stuff that Astor's doing, and I there's one other filmmaker who now I'm not going to think of, but, um, you know, you're getting this more intellectual horror again, something we haven't seen really since the 70s, um, and I'm all for it, so I, I hope so. Uh, and I hope that they keep getting to make these movies because they're, they're nice, low budget. They get really solid cast. Um and they do a lot with very little and it's 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 not the jump scares it's not the gore although there is gore uh it's not that's not the centerpiece the centerpiece is the characters and what the characters are going through psychologically and it's it's compelling so i hope so i hope it, it gets this uh enough of a buzz that people keep coming back for more well, I, I, again, I'm going to whip myself for not having seen this film, but um, looking forward to seeing it this week. And yeah, we're going to talk about it on the next uh, month's uh, show. And finally, very, very quickly, the final film I saw was Ophelia, um, kindly via IFC Films. 
Uh, it stars Daisy Ridley as Ophelia, who's a strong, rebellious lady in waiting. It's a reimagining of Hamlet, and it's fine. It's another film which is just fine. It's not going to be remembered by the end of the year, but um, Daisy Ridley is fine in it because she hasn't really done all that much other than Star Wars. She did Murder in Orient, Orient Express, um, but then this, and she's fine in that actually. And, and Naomi Watts is also very good, and the two of them hold their own against each other and are both very good. Uh, and it's a welcome change to the sometimes stuffy world of Shakespearean movies. So if you get a chance to watch Ophelia, don't expect to be blown away or have or th- get the second coming, but it's it's a solid enough film. And, I mean, that phrase has been used for this whole month, I think, is, you know, either solid, decent, or not good enough. So we always end, before we, before we sign off, we always end with a summation of the month. So I'm going to be a British gentleman and sign off and hand over to JB for this p- for first part. But of all the films we've spoken about, collectively june as a month how was it for you i would say um if it wasn't for toy story it would be overall pretty disappointing um Mm -hmm. i I mean i liked the two other movies that i really liked this month are both indie films uh you know midsummer and the dead don't die and again technically midsummer is a july film so there hasn't been a whole lot of of great um but the ones that are great are pretty great. And Toy Story being the highlight. Um, that was a film that could have easily wrecked the month. And instead, it, it made the... It's one of my favorite of the year so far. Um, and maybe one of my favorite all time. Because I love the Toy Story movie so much. So, I would say mainly bad. But uh, Toy Story is a bright light in this kind of crappy month. Yeah, I, I, I second that. We mentioned the summer. And this is... The last three months, April, May and June, have been overall disappointing with the exception of one or two. I mean, May, April was saved mainly by Shazam, but especially by Endgame for John. And the, and the, and the other films were disappointing, to say the least. May was, was similar. I mean, Aladdin ended up being the film we kind of enjoyed the most. But uh, and then but uh, for the main film, but then we had things like Booksmart came out, which blew both of us away. Yep. And um, but again, a smaller independent film take it taking the crown. John Wick was fine. Godzilla fine. Pikachu. Uh, Godzilla was rubbish. Right. Pikachu. Mew. And this was the same. If it wasn't for Toy Story, it, it's it. Oh, it's just disappointing. Is what it is. These last three months, with the exception of like one film per month, have been disappointing. Films which should have been better than they are end up being either average middling or just frankly not very good yesterday rose above that yesterday was a good film but it wasn't a great film and the, the other film and child's play whilst i gave that a positive review i'm not i'm not going to stand up and say it was a great film but i did have a lot of fun with it and there's a lot i took from it but there's a lot every, almost everything this month kind of fell in that middle of the road area which is which is starting to become my heart my story of this summer and I mean, what July brings, who knows? I mean, as a, again, July has a couple of films which have the potential to be those big standout films. But as for the other ones, who knows? Yeah. Yep, I so, agree. So, yeah, June wasn't, June wasn't the best month, but like that. So uh, we're going to sign off and say that is that for this episode of the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, thank you again to my wonderful statesman, John Burke, for the film chat. And to you as well, my, my British friend. I I enjoy this every month. It's one of the highlights of my month. Um, so wait, until next time, where can the world find you online and your works? I am at Burke Reviews and BurkeReviews.com. 
Uh, and you can find me what I watch tonight.co.uk. Uh, and you can find me on the on movie astrology of John. The latest episode is shopping. There have been some technical issues with it, but it will be out in the next few days. Um, so uh, it's, uh, before before we sign off, we would like to say if you do like the show, please do rate us and review us on your podcast provider of choice. Uh, obviously, it gets us out there a bit more, and it, and it helps us engage more with you guys because we get more engagement in return. So thank you for everyone who does listen. But until next month's show, from me, it's see ya, and from John. Keep watching movies. Blood, 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 bl